We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. With the third pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Charlotte Hornets select LaMelo Ball from Chino Hills, California. TJ. Oh, oh All right, what's going on? And welcome to another BuzzBeat episode. This is your host, Richie, and I'll be joined by Spencer and Brian today. We will be doing another season analysis pod, this time focusing more on the individual players. As always, before we jump in here, we love a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to visit our Buy Me a Coffee site, the link is in the description of this episode. I actually put up an article not too long ago ranking the top five most impressive Hornets in this past season. I actually got to number five and number four. I'll be releasing three, two, and one sometime shortly, but that's available now if you guys want to check that out. Spencer, we got you on the road here in your car calling us in. Hopefully you can multitask. How's it going? Good. It's going well. Yeah, hopefully I can talk and drive at the same time. That would be a good litmus test. For, for me as a human being, but no, I'm, I'm going, I'm doing pretty well, Richie, can't complain, wish I had a chance to watch a little bit more playoff basketball than I have, because I am pretty interested in some of these early adjustments that some teams are going to have to make after this game one, so going to try my best to stay up mm-hmm. at least till halftime of Suns-Lakers tonight, but that, that'll be probably a, stre- <laughs> a stretch, but I hope you guys are doing well. Yeah, the, my, my three favorite series that I'm interested in the first round is New York and Atlanta, Clippers and Dallas, and the one that you just mentioned, Phoenix and Lakers. It's funny, I, I picked the Lakers to win this series, but now after looking after you know game one, I've kind of rethinking that. It's funny, I, I feel like Phoenix has a really good chance of making it to the finals, but I could also see Lakers knocking them out in the first round, Brian. Yeah, well, we need we need to see what Chris Paul looks like, right? Because like if he's re- if he is can't be more than what he was after the the stinger that he suffered early on in game 1, then I'm, I mean, Phoenix can win a game or two more, but like they're not winning that series if Chris can't give them. I mean, if he's a if he's actually a liability for them on offense and he can't play make and shot create, um, as well as Phoenix played and Booker, Devin Booker, he's ready. He looked incredible. DeAndre Ayton's had a nice season. Yep. He outplayed AD in the first game. 
I looked this up yesterday. They had about 14 minutes of AD at center. LA was actually minus seven in those minutes, but those lineups have been killer for them in the past. I'm sure they'll go more to it. At some point, they'll play less drum and they have to. And uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe LeBron finds another gear. But I mean, I think other than CP, you know, getting hurt, everything else was super duper encouraging for for Phoenix in that first game. And if Chris is, you know, is can get back to full strength, then then we have a real like entertaining series on our hands. But uh, but I'm with you guys. Those were the three series I liked the most. The Bucks and the Heat were right up there. If you would talk to me like five oh. days ago, uh, but it is obvious that the Bucks' strengths defensively are really hindering what Adebayo and, and Jimmy want to do offensively, and there's just not enough offensive punch from the hero Nun uh, Dragic, you know, trio at, at point guard. Yeah, I think the, the Phoenix series too. One thing that. I just think Phoenix has an extra gear uh, from what we saw game one, too. They were good. Booker was awesome. Aiden was amazing. Uh, but, I mean, if they're supporting cast, the Bridges, Johnson, Crowder, if these guys start knocking down shots, Lakers are Lakers can be in a lot of trouble. Um, I, I was very surprised from LeBron, AD. I, I don't know if he attributed to the health or what, but not the game one intensity I expected from either one of those guys. So very curious to see how they come out in game two. Because if they go down to nothing, I mean, that's uh, sound the alarm bells. Yeah. All right, guys. Let's go from playoff teams to play-in teams, the Charlotte Hornets. We're going to spend <laughs> some time discussing the top six minute getters for the Hornets. And we're just going to start with the top minute getter and work our way down. We are just going to assess their season the highs, the lows, the in-betweens, things that maybe you were surprised by. And then we're going to give them a letter grade, a report card grade. School is getting out, um, and we're going to see if they move on to the next grade level here. Luckily for my class, none of my kids are being retained. That's, that's something that really doesn't happen in, in third or fourth grade anyway. It usually happens. Yeah. It's not a keep. It's not a keeper yeah, league. No, you're saying uh, like yeah. so <laughs> most most kids that get retained, it, it happens like in kindergarten or first grade, just because they, you know, that's when you probably should recognize it anyway. All right, let's start with Terry Rozier. He played in 69 of the 72 games for the Hornets. Played in 2,383 minutes this season. My overall assessment on him, I actually thought he was Charlotte's either best player or most consistent player in those first like 15 to 20 games of the season. I think his catch and shoot numbers obviously carried over from last season. It felt like he thrived with LaMelo on the court and Graham on the court together. That three guard lineup was something that Borrego tried to use as often as possible. And he was the one that I think benefited from it a lot. And as always, he he was a clutch player for Charlotte. He hit that game winner against the Warriors at home. I think that was like in February, January. I can't remember, but you know, sometime in the middle of the season. But the biggest thing that I wanted to note with Terry was the leap that I saw with him in his decisiveness with the pick and roll game. And we talked about that in his first season in 2020 with the Hornets. That was probably a thing that frustrated a lot of fans when he would come off the pick and roll and not really have a plan inside the arc and keeping his defender on his back, but wasn't really decisive in what he wanted to do. I thought he improved a lot on that. He also improved in the mid-range with his shot. You know, this obviously provided a lot of versatility within his game. He jumped from 37% to 
46% this past year. So that was the, the the high points that I saw with Terry Rozier, just impressed with his subtle improvements like the mid-range game and snaking pick and rolls. And obviously he's better suited playing off the ball than he is on the ball. Spencer, I'm going I'm to go to you. What were your overall thoughts with Terry Rozier? Yeah, I, I mean, I thought Terry Rozier this season showed that he's a pretty, you know, he's a crafty offensive player. And I think you could see, like, once of, of that before this season, but not not nearly as consistently as we saw it. I mean, you, you brought up some of the real positive notes for him this year. I mean, from two-point percentage, he took a huge leap. At the rim, he took a leap. You know, you talked about his, his kind of zest on the ball and pick-and-roll situations, getting his own shot. I mean, that little push-floater shot that he started to develop this year, and that really changed his offensive game, in my opinion. You know, the three-point shooting carried over, but even that was at a career high. I think it's something like 39% at a career high attempt above eight a game. You know, I just think like Rozier, he, he is what he is in terms of you're gonna you're gonna start him, you're gonna play him 35 minutes tonight, and he's gonna be like your two guard, or even the guy that's kind of the secondary secondary creator, like he is with Charlotte. You know, we can debate the efficiency stats. Those are probably going to be what they are. But I, I think that Terry did supplant himself as a very, not even above average, like a good offensive player in this league this season. And I think he has a place in this league going forward. So it's going to be really, in, you know, in the right role. Uh, I do think this is a guy you'll see on a on a contender one day, as a, probably not starting but coming off the bench and playing a really key offensive role. I'm, I'm very interested to see what Charlotte does with him, you know, with the expiring contract coming up. I, I, I wouldn't think that they kick the tires on, a, on an extension. I would think they pick up the phone and actually gauge the trade market for him before they did that. But this thing could go in a lot of different directions. And so good for Terry for putting the team in the league kind of on notice here. He, he had a great season. I give Terry an A on. Yeah, I, uh, the, the Rozier trade hypothetical is interesting. We've talked about it a little bit on here. I mean, I don't think it's something that we we think is going to happen, but it would just be doing an executive's due diligence to at least survey the market. I mean, Terry is uh, essentially an expiring contract now. Um, you know, anytime between this offseason and the deadline next year, he could have a fair amount of value. Terry's value is probably never going to be higher. Like this is, this is peak Terry Rozier in terms of his like development arc. He had his best season ever. And it came at, as he was, you know, going from age 26 to 27. So like he's following, you know, uh, a, a fairly predictable curve here in terms of his overall output. But yeah, I mean, he really has turned into one of the better, like small guard bucket getters um, in the NBA that can score from, yeah, I think credibly you can say he's a four-level scorer. He's not a great finisher at the rim in the half court, but but he can really score in so many different ways. 93rd percentile in terms of offensive uh, uh, EPM this season. That, of course, best number of his career. And I just do think that because of that sort of stuff, you have to at least kick the can on a trade when a player's like, you know, whether it's his perceived value or his actual value is above or whether either it's his perceived value is above his actual value or his actual value is at an all-time high and never going to get better then yeah you absolutely need especially when it's an expiring contract um effectively yeah you need to at least look search around there but it's just hard to move rosier because if you if you were to trade him you know you're gonna need to not just get salary filler uh but because charlotte's trying to win next season 
you know, you're going to want some of that salary to be players that can help you win. I would imagine plus, you know, an asset. I just don't, I don't know if that, that package exists out there. Maybe it does, but it's a tough one to find uh, given that Charlotte's, I don't think quite in rebuild mode or sort of trying to rebuild, but also contend. It's sort of hard to figure exactly where they are. Uh, but Terry, like high efficiency, high volume as a movement shooter, 81st percentile and spot up efficiency this year. 1.16 points per possession, 65% effective shooting on spot up, no dribble jumpers, uh, 83rd percentile in the NBA. There were 59 players in the league this season with at least 150 spot up, uh, no dribble jumpers. Rozier was tied for 10th in effective shooting on those numbers with Danny Green. He was ranked 12th in the NBA in total points off of screens. That's such a big part. We talk about it all the time. I tweeted about it all the time. You know, his movement shooting, the volume, the efficiency, the ability to do it off off the go is a huge part of Charlotte's after timeout offense. It's a huge part of their set play calls. Look, man, Terry is paid to shoot the ball and to score the ball. And that's like really what he does. I don't think he's like an amazing playmaker for others. I think he can be a little limited, but he offers some sort of like tertiary creation. A lot of it is based off of his scoring gravity, which is fine. Just nothing super duper advanced. Um, but given his role that that's, I think mostly fine when Charlotte's at full health, the defensive issues are like a little more, um, you know, I just feel like he messes assignments, uh, rotations, just a frequent participant, in Charlotte's breakdowns on that end of the court, but there's also plenty of guilty bodies to go around there. Uh, Charlotte, not a very good defensive team. And then the clutch scoring too um, was, was really good this season, 88 points, 93 clutch minutes on 56 field goal attempts shooting slash of 50, 45, 82. But as has been noted by plenty of other people, like he really trailed off uh, the final two months of the season, clutch shooting April through May, uh, 21 points in 35 minutes on 21 field goal attempts. You can see the efficiency going down 43% shooting overall, uh, two of eight on threes and one of three from the line, small sample. It's noisy. That cuts both ways. But, you know, it's pretty clear once Charlotte lost sort of some of its other like creators, some of the other gravity guys that teams have to respect Hayward, uh, LaMelo, Malik Monk. You know, Hayward is a guy that can really absorb some of these tougher matchups late in games, too. Uh, that that Rozier did have some issues, not just th- those like that slump is like consistent with his overall play, which which took a little bit of a dive. But Terry's a big time shooter. He's a big time scorer. He's limited in certain ways, but, but man, he really has turned into be a, a very nice offensive piece um, for, uh, for Charlotte the last two seasons. So Spencer gave him a, a minus Brian, what are you going to give him? I'll give Terry a, a B minus a B minus. Okay. I'm going B plus on Terry. And I think to your point, Brian, about his slump being directly correlated with, you know, the loss of LaMelo, the loss of Hayward, like that just points to the fact that he just, he doesn't perform as well when the ball is concentrated in his hands. He performs better when he's off the ball. And he obviously is the top minutes getter for this Hornets team. I would also say that he probably wore down towards the end of the season as well. So B plus for me, B minus for Brian, A minus for Spencer. We're going to go to PJ Washington played in 64 of the 72 games in totaled 1,954 minutes. Spencer, I'm going to let you lead off on him because I feel like you've had the strongest thoughts and feelings on Washington this season. And I I have some thoughts too. 
He's been very inconsistent. But, Spencer, go ahead and lead off with your thoughts on P.J. Yeah, I mean, that's the word to start on with P.J., <laughs> for sure. I think when you actually go back and you look at the the whole sample from the season, it's, it's not as bad as maybe I had it in my mind. But, but again, I mean, every time you thought P.J. was about to turn a corner, uh, he makes you took two steps backwards. Which, look, I mean, he's a second-year player. P.J.'s young. I, I would say, let's start with the positive. I think P.J. was better defensively in, in a lot of ways this season. I, I think he was a little bit more malleable across multiple positions. Um, I mean, you know, P.J.'s not the, the, the slightest on, on foot, but he, I thought he played defense with his hands really well this season, specifically late in the season. You know, he was able to take on those, you know, stay in front of smaller guards more often, provide a little bit more resistance uh, resistance across a bunch of positions in this scheme, very confusing defensive scheme, have you that Charlotte ran this year. And B.J. was a big part of why the Hornets, when he was out there, of why the Hornets were able to pretty much be a top 22-23 defense, which surprised a lot of people, including myself. Uh, he was a big part of that. So I think defense, you know, P.J., he has proven that he's a piece. Uh, they can fit a lot of different places on the chessboard on that side of the ball. I think offensively, he's just still trying to figure out kind of what he is there. I mean, you can tell that the team encouraged him to continue shooting the ball, you know, at the top of the arc on the little 1-5 pick and pop. Now, he'd be placed in the corner a lot. Shoot, shoot, shoot. Shoot your way out of swaps. And we saw him do that on a, on a few different occasions this season, which is encouraging. It's just the inconsistency uh, that you wonder about. But it, my biggest thing with DJ kind of looking forward is, you know, what the, what are you? What are you? What is your position? What is your real role going to be? Charlotte has kind of pigeonholed him into this small ball five in his first few seasons. Not, not that that was the plan when he was drafted, but I think just out of necessity because Charlotte has been so thin at the center position. I'm curious to see if that is actually a detriment to P.J.'s overall development as a player uh, because I think that's just been asking a lot of him. And I think we've seen you know more signs offensively that maybe the Hornets have thrust him you know into a role early in his career that he, that he wasn't quite ready for. So, you know, offensively, we know he can shoot it. He, he was pretty consistent. It was three-point shooting numbers from, from his rookie season, although they were inconsistent. I think where he took a real step backwards, you know, it's just at the rim and, you know, in that middle area. He's just, he's still pretty, he doesn't have a go-to move down there. He doesn't look very confident very often. You know, if he's got a defender in between himself and the rim, and that's that's the area that P.J. is really going to have to continue to improve in or just or just straight up improve in because I, I think moving forward, he is going to play a lot more true power forward for the Hornets because I do think they'll add some centers here in the offseason. So I'm still fine with P.J. I, I still am high on him moving forward. He's a young player. He's had a very unique few, first few seasons in the NBA. We've seen some high spots. We've seen some low spots. But the next evolution for him is, is learning really just to play more of that, much more of his minutes at that true power forward position, which I think could help him. Yeah, I don't necessarily think he doesn't look fluid down in the post. I mean, he may not have a go-to move, like you said, Spencer, but I feel like he, he looks comfortable down there in the post. And for a player that is fluid down there, It'd actually be nice if he starts making those shots around the rim. I mean, he I feel like he gets good looks. He's just missing them. And that's 
actually been a trend that he had in his rookie season as well. His rim shooting is just not there. And he has a high volume of shots, you know, at the rim and she just misses bunnies, which is, you know, not a good sign for a player that is kind of touted as a guy that can play inside out or outside in. Obviously the three point shot has has done well for him in his first two seasons. We talked about this earlier and Spencer, you kind of noted this, you know, out of shape how you know how out of shape he looked I think one of the most obvious ways to start this season you know just based off the eye test was the way that he defended in space if he had a guard or a big or even a forward just kind of facing up on him it didn't take much for that player to get by and I think that drastically improved as the season progressed but at the start of the season wasn't looking all that great for him in terms of the defensive side if you look at the last 15 games of the season or so He's the guy that you kind of wanted, you know, the promise that he shows as a pick and pop guy, took a ton of shots with confidence, no hesitation, but you could actually point to any other month in the season and just be like, oh, wow, this guy looks completely different uh, than he did in those last 15 games of the season. So PJ Washington was a big mystery to me up and down season, you know, one week he looked like this and one in the next week he was, he was poor. I'm going to give an overall grade to PJ as a C plus just because of his inconsistent nature. I do like him a lot with this roster. And I think if you can figure out little things here and there, especially finishing around the rim, it's going to go a long way in helping his, his versatility with this team. Yeah, let's, uh, I'll just, I'll start with the defense, uh, here. I mean, you guys touched on some of this already. Generally speaking, I didn't really like Charlotte's switch much this season. I really didn't like any of the defenses they played this season, just not way too leaky, not nearly connected enough within that switch. But I actually do think PJ was one of their better switch defenders. Richie, you mentioned guys being able to get around him in space. I do think that was a carryover from, last season too, where guys with their first step, their first dribble could get by PJ. Um, I thought he did a better job across multiple positions, sort of like staying in front of the ball for the majority, you know, of the, of, of the season. But, you know, he is longer than we, I think we give him credit for. Like we talk about PJ all the time as a small ball five and it's true, but PJ does have like a almost seven foot three wingspan. Um, and I think we, you get, you saw that with his rim protection. You saw that with like Spencer said, his ability to sort of like play with his hands and, and get some steals that way. Um, you know, big growth area for him was the rim protection block rate up to 4% from 2.2% this season, his best year at Kentucky, a sophomore year, 4.8% block rate. So you can see really made some big strides in that over, even from the, since he's like left, Lexington, I just think some of the rotations he made this season were um, were pretty impressive to to be help side and to be present at the rim and you know was just given a different assignment this year and I think he really sort of like took it on uh, full thrust and uh, yeah just the what, just continuing from there I love how he already presents the Hornets with a competent small ball five option for LaMelo. I've talked about this before on here, but as they build around ball, you know, this is something that they would absolutely want to find, right? A hybrid four, a four and a half that can play the five that can switch, can run, pick and pop, can roll the basket, can shoot from above the break, can make plays on the short roll. And like, they don't have to go out and find that it's already on the roster He's on a rookie contract and he's 22 years old. So I think that's pretty darn impressive. Um, Spencer and I talked about this on a pod a couple of weeks ago about, you know, how should his minutes be changed going forward? And, you know, he basically played half the time at the center this season. And and, and at, when Spencer and I talked about it a couple of weeks, I thought it should be down more in the 
25 to 30% range. I still feel confident about that, but given how they're situated with guys like Bridges and Hayward, I think PJ is still going to have to play a ton of center next season. Like I, I, I still don't think it's going to be just like a, you know, a, a cute thing that Charlotte goes to once or twice a half. Like I still think that's going to be a, a pretty critical area for him. I thought early in the season, Charlotte gave him some creation ball handling possessions and he yeah. sort of yeah. struggled like, you know, not that, not that bursty Norris is handled that tight. And just when he was trying to break down a defender one-on-one, if there's help, you know, one, one pass away, a lot of that was just turning into just really poor sort of like lazy turnovers. But if you give him some advantage to go off of or some type of motion, you know, I do think he can be a playmaker. And of course, some of that advantage creation can come off of his own jump shot gravity. I mean, like my favorite version of PJ, I think the best version of PJ is when the above the break three is humming. He's forcing closeouts. He's dropping that left leg and he's exploding to get downhill a uh, very solid short roll play, uh, passer and playmaker. Um, I actually think PJ's best half court finishes come on those looks because they allow him to get a bit of a runway and gather some steam before going up. And I think that's when he's best at playing through contact. Like I think his real issues finishing at the rim and the half court are he's not super explosive vertically and he doesn't do a great job playing through contact. Like he contorts his body a lot. And I, and I think that's something when he's in the short roll and he's able to get a dribble or two and get downhill, it, it, he just, it allows him to play with more thrust and more verve um, in the air, but he can really threaten the defense as a post screen scoring threat. Cause he can pick, he can pop, he can slip. He was awesome. 60% effective shooting after slipping screens this season, which is a pretty big number. Um, but he improved across the board as a pick and roll finisher, a pick and, and a pick and pop finisher this season. A lot of that had to do also uh, the pick and pop stuff, of course, coming from playing with LaMelo and just as above the break three point shooting numbers going up as well. So PJ, big expectations this season, tough start, finished pretty well. Overall, I would, I would give him a B and yeah, I think he's a, you know, long-term piece to have going forward, uh, regardless of what his role exactly looks like. So I gave him a C plus. Brian, you gave him a B. Spencer, I don't think we got a grade from you for for PJ. Yeah, I need to jump in. Um, so I'll give him a B minus. I think you know mostly because his defense. I mean, the numbers look encouraging. As Brian brought up, that they did it. They didn't improve in a lot of areas, and some of the things I mentioned earlier. So I'll give him a B minus. I do wonder with PJ, and I, I do agree with Brian. I mean, just the way the roster is constructed, I do think he's still going to play small ball five minutes next year. I hope it's less, but he's certainly going to stop the play minutes there. I do wonder if he can reimagine his body a little bit, though. I, I, I think P.J. can drop more weight without giving up a lot of physicality in certain matchups. Mm-hmm. And I think he might... I, you know, he's still a young guy. And I, I watch P.J. move around sometimes, and I wonder if there's a little bit more athleticism to unlock there. So I'm kind of curious to see what the Hornets training staff tries to do, tries to do with his body in the off season. Cause I, I think there, I think there might be some low hanging fruit with him dropping a few pounds. That, that's a really good point. And it would help him like it would help him in so many ways, including like face up post up stuff. The one thing I do want to mention, we didn't see much of it this season. Uh, look, I don't think he exactly has like, you know, Elijah Wan like moves down on the block or anything like that. But if he catches on the right block, he can spin off that left foot, do that little drop step move and, and use his right hand to finish on the glass. Like that is one of his move, a move you can do down there. 
But a lot of that, I feel like, comes out of he gets a switch, right? And he's, so he's going up. He's doing that over the top of a smaller guy. It's not like you can feed him on the block against a seven-footer. He's going to get to that move. Um, but I do think he has that in his bag. It just you saw it, saw probably less of it this season. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's transition to Miles Bridges. Played in 66 of the 72 games and had 1,932 minutes on the season. If I were to use a word to describe Washington, it'd be inconsistent. If I were to use a word to describe Miles Bridges, it would be adaptable. I felt like he was very adaptable this yeah. season, coming off the bench to start, and then he transitioned to the starter role. And you also saw his game adapt in, in a lot of different ways. From the get-go, you saw the playmaking improvements. You saw the passing improvements. You saw the pull-up shooting, which obviously adds a ton to his game. Last season, it felt like he was more of a spot-up guy and then really just kind of like a closeout beater because of his athleticism, you know, taking off from five, seven feet from the hoop and dunking it on people. But now he has that ability to create off the dribble for others, and he also has the ability to create for himself off the dribble. And he just shot the ball so well off the bounce, but just shot the ball generally well from deep. I think he went like low 30s in his first two seasons, but now he shot 40% from deep this past season. And I mentioned this on the previous episode as well, less off-ball defense, you know, defensive miscues, right? So like he just seems more locked in. There's not as many mental lapses on his end. I mean, they still did occur. I, I noted them throughout the course of the season, but they were few and far between when you compare it to his first two seasons here. So I think obviously this player, Miles, has been the biggest surprise out of anyone on the roster. And I don't give A pluses, so I won't give an A plus for Miles. So I'm just going to give him an A because he outperformed tons of expectations in my book and everyone else's book. Like he just, he, he did it all for this team. And like Brian was mentioning on the last episode, or maybe it was two episodes ago, that the only reason he missed games this season was because of the the COVID protocols, right? Like, he didn't get injured. He was one of the few steady players on the roster. Obviously, Rozier was there too, but loved loved the playmaking, loved the passing, loved the pull-up shooting. Those three things, to me, were the biggest improvements, and it adds a ton to his game because he already has that athletic, you know, ability in his game. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to find some new stuff to say about this guy because we've just been sort of like marveling at him for several months now. But, you know, if you were giving out NBA awards 
for like individual teams and individual players on each team. Like I think miles would be Charlotte's six man of the year, their most improved player and their MVP. Like, like he was, he was that freaking good the, this season. And, and really uh, like I, maybe some of that is recency bias, but I just think some of the stuff he did the last two months of the season, it just, it seemed so sustainable and he was playing well before that anyways, but really the on ball creation stuff late in the year was just so freaking impressive uh, 58% effective shooting on off dribbled numbers this is a top five number in the league amongst guys with at least 50 attempts. I'm being a little friendly with filters there. You know, he's probably not quite that good of a pull-up shooter. If he is then, Oh my God, <laughs> as Charlotte hit, hit the gold mine there, but that's still good. The confidence to take those, the ability to make some of those shots is huge. His ability to just do literally everything in the pick and roll on both sides of the pick and roll um, on rolls, pops and slips this year, 1.37 points per possess- possession on slips alone, 1.35 points per possession, 65% effective shooting on the other side as a pick and roll ball handler. When he used the possession 1.04 points per possession, when he passed to someone that used the possession 1.19 points per possession, you think about those guys so good at throwing those like right-handed pocket passes when they would throw it to him and and run slot pick and roll or give it to him at the elbow out of horns and and run ball screen action that way. Um, So if this guy used the pick and roll as a ball handler, either as a passer or he used the possess- he used the possession on his own 1.1 points per possession again combine that with the fact that he was at 1.37 points per possession as the guy who was you know what what the offense output was if he was the one setting or slipping the screen um, so let's think about this for a second right miles can basically do everything out of this action he's a monster threat as a screener and he can play both sides of the action, which opens up all kinds of DHO possibilities, fake handoffs, uh, you know, DHO. Then he rolls right to the basket. He basically is the ball handler and the screen setter and the roller. He just needs one other guy to sort of partner up with him. Um, and we saw a fair amount of that this season, but I want even more of it. I want even more on ball stuff with with Miles uh, next season. And this gets to one of the things that's so tantalizing because he can basically do everything at least or what he was showing this season, it makes you wonder like what the ceiling is for this guy. And that's something we've talked about a lot of it, but he can be a playmaker on the ball, pick and roll or DHO Chicago action playmake in the middle of the court out of those five out delay sets. He can be a spacing agent and a catch and go closeout beater shot a great ball from deep. Obviously he's a special athlete. He shot great numbers at the rim. He can post up, as well. So there's just so many different ways you can use this guy and, um, and just could not be more impressed with how well he played this season. His, the vibes he brought, uh, his effort and his production two ways was superb. I would give him an A as well. Yeah. I mean, you guys have, you guys have touched on most of it. I mean, unquestionably the most improved player on this roster and <laughs> to Brad's point, maybe, maybe the MVP as well. I mean, when you really think about it, when, when LaMelo went down, when, when Hayward was out, you know, when the Hornets were scuffling to just keep their head above water there late in the season and were actually doing so there before the floor fell out from under them. I mean, that was that was because of Miles Bridges and, and his evolution as a player. You know, the, the whole Draymond Green comparison on offense, it certainly, you know, like no one really should compare Draymond to any aspect of his game, but there are real similarities to all, all the reasons that Brian was just talking about. 
of why the Hornet fans should be as excited about Miles Bridges as anyone on this roster, and that includes Lamelo Ball. You know, he's he literally can do it all offensively. You can put him anywhere on the chessboard. You can play him with almost any lineup you want. Like he 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 might be the most important piece for the Hornets' future right now, and I mean that seriously over Lamelo Ball. Um, I know that you most wouldn't agree with that, but like I don't think anybody saw this coming for Miles Bridges this year. The jump he took shooting the ball from literally everywhere on the floor and doing it in all the ways you guys have brought up is, is really, really special. So I'm very excited about Miles Bridges moving forward. I couldn't be more impressed with him as a player this year. You know, to touch on the defense real quick, Richie, I, I think you hit it on the head. Like, it was really just energy and effort level for me when I was watching Miles Bridges this, this year because we've talked about it in the past. You know, he just looked like a guy on that end. It just lost concentration. Like he did, his brain just turned off for a number of seconds. At times, didn't see that guy this year, whether it be on the ball or off the ball. I mean, he got really, really good at hunting those help side blocks really consistently this season. It's just not something we saw very often in the half court from him. So just a completely different – it just seemed like a player to me who is just really ready for this season. Mm-hmm. Like he came in hungry. He came in ready. You know, you, you got to give him credit. I don't know what he was doing in the offseason to prepare mentally, but the mental aspect of it has much more to do than the physical attributes for Miles because that part of it just looked way, way different to me this year. So I think an extension is pretty much a no-brainer, minus something weird happening between now and the end of next season with Miles Bridges, which is really exciting. It's just kind of determining on when that extension happens. But the Hornets have to all of next season to get it done. Do you have a grade, Spencer? Oh, yeah, sorry. I'm going to go with Brian here, too. I, I think it's an A. I would love to give him an A+, plus, but um, I'm like you, Richie. I don't know if I can get all the way there. So this will be the highest grade <laughs> yeah. I give out there. Sure. I, will, I will tell you that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, the, the mentality switch to me was like the most obvious thing because we keep talking about the physical attributes that he has. I think half the battle on defense is the mental side. It's funny, in high school when I played – my sophomore season, I, I could care less about defense. Like <laughs> the coach subbed me out at the end of games for defensive purposes. So this like freshman came in and he took my spot at the end of the year because he wanted to play defense and I didn't. So it's it's a lot of it's mental. I didn't really want to play defense and that's why I was taken out towards the end of games. But all right, going to Devontae Graham, played in 55 games and logged 1,659 minutes this season. Spencer, I'm going to pass it to you. And you can start off with your thoughts on Graham. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, Devontae uh, Graham was was the guy we already knew he was, right? You know, he, he battled some injuries this year. He was, he was out of the lineup for a period of time. I, you know, I thought Devontae Graham gave the Hornets a real punch towards the end of the year when, God, did they need it on the offensive end. But he continues to struggle, you know, in, in that middle area of the floor. You know, pull-up jump shooting uh, from the mid-range, then obviously just the, the struggles at the rim and not being able to get to the free-throw line consistently. So, you know, I, I, I still really like Devontae Graham uh, as a backup point guard in this league. I think he can run just about any offense, any scheme that you have in the NBA. We know how good of an off-the-dribble shooter he is, which is just, just I mean, you can't understand how important that skill is towards the end of games in this league. If you need a guy that can do exactly what he can do, and that shoot off the dribble at a high volume at a really high level. There's just not many guys that can do that in this league. So I think that gets overlooked a little bit with him uh, because of his struggles, you know, basically everywhere else on the floor. But it, 
what really it's the shooting off the dribble shooting and it's the ability to run an offense to to orchestrate the pieces on the floor while dishing it out at a high level and turning it over at a low level i mean you know you don't have to do a whole lot of things really really well to be a super effective backup point guard in this league and i think Devontae does all the things you need to you know to, to be a, a plus player and that's why all the you know, advanced numbers pretty much tell you a similar story when it comes to the Devontae's efficiency i mean he's he is a winning player uh, on both ends of the floor and the defense doesn't always stick out but he's going to give you effort on that end so We'll see what happens with Devontae and Charlotte moving forward. You know, be a restricted free agent this summer. I, I don't think there'll be a short list uh, or, or a lack of teams, shall we say, kind of seeking out his services. I think it just really matters where that price point comes in for Charlotte because they, they do have other priorities that they need to address first. So, it, so it's going to be interesting. I'd love for Devontae to stick around. I think he can be a plus to this roster moving forward as for his Kovchak continues to build it, but again, I think it boils down to the price point when you're talking about somebody that's really going to effectively effectively be your backup point guard. So I'll give Devontae a B. A couple things here. You know, Spencer touched on is the inability to finish at the rim, um, really even get to the rim, and certainly that that shapes his overall value and ceiling as a lead guard. This is something we talked about a lot like last offseason before the arrival of LaMelo and this sort of like eases some of those, I think some of those concerns, but it just ultimately confirms something we've long thought and said on this podcast. That said, I totally agree with Spencer. Like he can absolutely be a valuable rotation piece. He can really pass. He can really run an offense. And when he doesn't have the ball, he can absolutely ruin coverages because he turned into one of the best spot up threats in the league this season. Like last year, Devante's big thing was, Big time, high volume, pick and roll monster. Charlotte really couldn't get any offense going when he wasn't on the court. And a lot of that was just off of his pull-up gravity. Um, As far as role players in this league go, there are a few guys that I think do a better job toggling the line between being incredibly self-aware and also irrationally confident. But that's exactly where like Devontae Graham lives. This guy plays to his strengths and uses those strengths to augment both his secondary skills and the team around him. So, you know, an example of that, you know, his pull-up shooting, his pull-up three-point shooting, that gravity is what can really open up his ability as a pick-and-roll passer because he doesn't really threaten as a downhill driver. Um, His role shifted actually a decent amount this season, which was the case for a lot of guys, Miles, P.J., I think Rozier is maybe the one like returning rotation guy from last season that maintained a fairly consistent role. Maybe Zeller as well, but you know, DG never complained. He just kept cheering from the bench and just chucking threes. He's the ultimate vibes player on this roster. But yeah, last season, 45% of DG's possessions, the ones that he used came out of the pick and roll uh, monster numbers. He was one of 14 guys in the league with 500 plus pick and roll points. Um, this season, only 29% of his use possessions came out of the pick and roll. So a big drop from 45 to 29%. Um, and he scored, scored only 174 points out of the pick and roll this season. Efficiency was down a little bit too, but here's where I, while I was just mentioning his spot up efficiency this year, um, 29% of his possessions this season were spot ups. Obviously, most of those coming on catch and shoot opportunities, not like not like, you know, Devontae attacking a closeout or whatever. He doesn't really do that. Uh, Devontae Graham 
1.33 points per possession <laughs> on, on, on spot ups or uh, yeah, spot ups this season. Uh, that was number two in the NBA amongst players with at least 200 possessions behind only Marcus Morris from the Clippers who got to play alongside freaking Paul George <laughs> and Kawhi Leonard uh, and like the greatest shooting offense ever. So Devonte was really right there. Um, I give him a B for the season. I think there's a role for him here. Like Spencer said, it's just finding the right, the right price point, but I love this guy as a player. I think he's the heart and soul of the team in a lot of ways to have a local guy or a North Carolina guy, be that be in some way, shape or form, like, the face of the franchise alongside obviously mellow and other guys I think is cool too. So uh, Devonte had a nice season um, despite his limitations, despite the injuries, despite having to figure it out, playing next to mellow. Um, he was still a very valuable offensive piece. Yeah. I don't have much to add what you guys did, but I, I will also say a B for Devonte Graham. You know, he, he did have a role shift like you're saying, Brian, and the whole team was predicated on ball movement and you didn't see these pick-and-roll opportunities that he had. He can still play out of the pick-and-roll. He's a very good passer out of the pick-and-roll. But I think with him shifting to more of an off-ball position and not having the ball in his hands a ton, I think it benefited the team. And that just goes to show what type of player Devontae is in terms of being unselfish. I mean, he's unselfish in the ways that you would think he would be unselfish in passing the ball, but also just knowing that his change with his role had to take place this season with Borrego's offense. I, w- I want to say this. I think that when you look on paper for Devontae, you just see high volume three-point shots. But he was way more impactful than that. And I think a lot of the advanced metrics kind of show that with the on-off numbers. And he's obviously the the top player in EPM on this team, 91st percentile. Again, there is some noise with some of these statistics, but a lot of these statistics were pretty consistent throughout the course of the season. And it just kept going back to Devontae Graham having these higher end metrics, which sometimes you just don't see that with a player that strictly shoots three-point shots and really isn't a threat inside the arc. So I will round it up and say B as well. Impactful player for the Hornets. I thought his role change was needed for this team. And I guess one last thing too, I think his defensive awareness improved this season. All right, let's go to Gordon Hayward, played in just 44 games this season, logged almost 1,500 minutes, three-level score. We knew this going into the season. He shot 62% at the rim, 42% from the mid-range, and 40% from the three-point line. He was the only player on the roster to shoot above 60 at the rim, 40 in the mid and 40 behind the arc. Hornets used him in a variety of different methods. Obviously, they missed his presence towards the end of the season when they had someone to go in the half-court offense. They used him as a screener to get you know, a smaller guy at the, at the elbow. And he would either just kind of bully his way down to the, to the rim, or he would just kind of shoot over the guy. I think one thing that often gets overlooked with Hayward is his ability to distribute the ball. Like he's not, he's not a black hole on offense where it gets to him and and it doesn't get back out to the shooters. I, I think, you know, obviously he's always had this, but Borrego's tendency to, to, to push the ball around the court has rubbed off on him as well. A veteran presence, one of the older players, if not the oldest player, I think maybe Wanamaker might be older than him, but obviously he was only there for like half the season. And and one last thing that I'll mention with him. The barrel-chested one, Brad yeah, Wanamaker. Yes. <laughs> we will not be talking about him today just because of the minutes that he did not log with this team. 
Last thing I mentioned with Hayward is his ability to play out in transition. He's always been like in the upper 70s, 80 percentile when it comes to transition opportunities. And you wouldn't really realize that with someone that is a little bit older. It's it's not all about speed and athleticism. It's about angles and, and timing your cuts and all that stuff. So very solid player. Unfortunate that he went down, but also in a way somewhat predictable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to give Hayward an A minus. I'm going to pass it off to Spencer. Yeah, I mean, I, I, what I'll say about Hayward is he's just such he's such a needed release valve for this team offensively. You know, we saw earlier in the season just just having him. He's just he's the only guy that the Hornets have that can like hunt mismatches, right? And that was the most obvious weakness for this team when he went down. You know, it was just a lot, a lot more Lamelo four shots. A lot of Devontae Graham, Terry Rozier, undersized guards getting swallowed up, you know, by opposing defenses because they're not giving them any room to breathe, you know, outside the arc. And and so, like, he's just such a key piece in that way. And how efficient he was able to do that at the beginning of the season, you know, with how well he shot the ball all over the floor, Richie, as you profiled, was just, like, super impressive. And, you know, like... I didn't see a Gordon Hayward that was like, you know, in the 44 games that was thrown in some athletic time machine and thought, well, this isn't sustainable. Like, Gordon Hayward looked, he looked his age. He looked like a guy that's been through, you know, the laundromat of injuries. But he's, he's really discovered a new way to be efficient and score the basketball and use his physicality, you know, and when he's open, knock down open shots from the outside. So, like, I think that this Gordon Hayward can exist for two more seasons, maybe three more seasons. It's just, man, what 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 a task for this Hornets athletic training staff to try to keep that guy healthy for like 75 to 80% of the regular season. That is what's going to get this team over the hump in terms of win-loss expectation. And, and it's also what's going to continue that, to help develop players like LaMelo Ball and Miles Bridges and, and frankly, Terry Rozier. Uh, I, I'd make an argument to you that Terry Rozier benefited from Gordon Hayward's presence as much as anybody else on this team. So, I, you know, I was super impressed with Gordon. But, yeah, to your point, Richie, like, it's, you, just, you just don't know when he's going to be there for you. You know, his, his body is – it's been through a lot. And he's almost played, played 22,000 minutes. Actually, I think he's played more than 22,000 minutes in the NBA now. So, you know, it's just kind of like hold your hold your breath and hope that he can stay healthy because if he can, he's really, really going to help this team during the next few years win ball games. I will give I will give Gordon a B just only because he missed 44 games. Or excuse me, only played 44 games. Everything else is, you know, with flying colors with him. I, I think that was something – I said this on, uh, on a hit with uh, WFNZ last week, like – after the season ended, like, I don't think enough people, we talked a lot about the block of injuries that Charlotte had ad nauseum and just what that did to their season. But even once everyone came back, but Gordon Hayward, like they still weren't the same in part because maybe some of the guys weren't, you know, completely healthy or whatever, um, or were out of rhythm, but like Gordon Hayward was their best player, you know, like, like when he was available this season, Gordon Hayward was their best offensive player. And you're like, people, you know, were wondering, Oh, why wasn't the team as effective offensively? Well, like missing the guy that was playing like just below an all-star level and can score from everywhere on the court and pass. Like, yeah, maybe that, you know, had something to, to do with it. 
his ability, Richie, you touched on this a little bit, but just his ability to score from every level, all four levels, pass from all four levels and draw fouls from all four levels is really impressive. Charlotte doesn't have anyone like that on the roster quite. Maybe Miles Bridges is getting there, but not maybe not quite yet. But his ability to do that, just to be a threat with the ball or without the ball every time he crosses half court, huge. The ability to dictate matchups, um, both in terms of like keeping all his teammates clean from tougher assignments. Spencer mentioned this, but also just being able to then hunt mismatches. You know, we saw that two man game with Lamelo a lot. I still think all the time about that Atlanta win from early in the season which was just LaMelo Hayward pick and roll. And we're going to get to switch with Trey Young. And then Gordon's going to put him in the basket. And, and if they don't want to switch, well, then we're going to exploit that advantage our own way. Um, that was awesome. And I'm that, that seeing that made me want this to play this team to play in the playoffs, because I was like, that's something you could use uh, when everything else you know bogs down, you can always turn to that. So he was not very good defensively this year even though we can open up some sort of like some, some lineup functionality for them, but between the health, the, the lack, the, the games missed and the defensive issues, I'll give him a B for the season and just hope like hell they can squeeze two more seasons out of him. Um, you know, I mean, it's yeah. people are, people are proposing you, you see people on Hornets Twitter that are kicking around hypothetical trades with Hayward where like, you know, where he's still like a plus asset, Maybe, I, I mean, like, uh, maybe those exist. I, I think those are more fantasy than they are practical. Um, I, I don't see Charlotte moving Gordon Hayward, nor do I see them moving it in a way that allows them to, like, escape salary and grab an asset. But not, not a crazy, uh, it's not a crazy idea to at least consider for a team, you know, that has a big salary like Hayward. And, you know, you, you can kind of see the past to how the floor falls out on them next season. Like, Good to at least start like picking the yeah. tires. That that's a possibility. He could still be maybe a a plus yeah. average asset. Yeah, I mean, I think it still is the case now. I think it is the, like you're right at the edge of it, though. You know, I mean, who knows? Maybe he's better. Maybe he just stays healthy and he copy and paste and has a repeat season just with more activity next year. Maybe you could find a team that is desperate enough to just like add another piece. You know, Golden State is, I guess, one that comes to mind. Um, look, it's probably worth at least kicking the can on it. I just don't, I don't actually foresee it to be to happen. And I would just be, I'll be honest with you, I'd be like a little surprised to see. Uh, maybe you can find a couple of teams that are real desperate uh, to to sort of win now and, and and really bulk up their bulk up their offense um, with a with a big wing like Hayward. But I just think the overall, I'm just imagining like the average like opinion on him in the league can't be given, given his salary can't be like, this is a positive asset, especially since he missed like a third of the season, but we'll see. I I guess those opportunities are out there. I I'll be curious to see if they get anywhere close to actually like sniffing around or pull, even pulling the trigger on something like that. Yeah, You you do see those popping up on Twitter a whole lot more. I have a soft spot yeah. for Hayward. I think it's probably all stems from like the 2014 offer sheet that we gave him, how close we were to getting him, you know, kind of closer in his prime. But that's probably why I was a little bit higher on him than you guys were. It is a minus. So last player that we're going to get to was the rookie LaMelo Ball, who played in 51 games this season, 1,469 minutes. I'm going to have Brian lead this one off since you were the highest on him in the pre-draft process. So Brian, go ahead and give us your thoughts on LaMelo. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've gushed about him for five months straight, six months straight. 
there's really nothing new to add. We even sort of talked the last couple of weeks about just what he looked like since he came back from the injury, you know, his, his pull-up shooting was way down and teams without Hayward teams were really able to defend him in a certain way, you know, be physical with him, go under screens. Um, and unless Charlotte could sort of like rescreen or get a seal, it was tough for him to get to the rim, but, or get to the rim with much effectiveness, I guess I should say. But I, I want to talk about Lamel Lamello looking outward as opposed to sort of like looking back, which we've done a lot of this year and, and we can do more of it when he hopefully wins rookie of the year. But, um, you know, he talked about, or the team has talked about him getting stronger this off season. That's huge. He's got to get stronger, has to, has to, has to become a more competent and durable finisher at the rim and the pull-up shooting has got to become more reliable. was pretty good for the majority of the season um, until he went down with the injury, but just honing that in, making that pull-up three more reliable and then being more impactful and efficient with his drives and attacks on the basket are going to be huge. But he had a, I mean, he had a tremendous rookie season, um, you know, not perfect, but he had a really great season what he means for the future of basketball at this franchise with the NBA is dramatic. He's changed the way we talk and think about this team. Like they matter locally. They matter nationally. They matter globally now because of this one guy. And um, he's just so talented. The passing was, was just superb. He changes, you know, you watch enough basketball and you think you've seen it all. And then a guy like this comes along and then just sort of like reinvents how you see the game a little bit or, or how you think the game can be played. But I love LaMelo as a prospect. Uh, I had thought he was the number one pick. Charlotte's very lucky that they moved up to three. They're very lucky that the, the Warriors drafted James Wiseman at two. And um, yeah, I just could not be more thrilled with how this season went for him. I had pretty high expectations, but even he uh, exceeded those. And I cannot wait to see where he will go from here on out Uh, for LaMelo this season. I will give him an A minus. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with LaMelo this season, if you were to look post-injury versus pre-injury, very different players, but that's also understandable with the wrist injury that he was dealing with. You, you added a lot there, Brian. The, the biggest surprise for me with LaMelo, kind of comparing him pre-draft to now, was his three-point shot. And again, pre-injury, he was shooting the ball very, very well from deep. On the season, he shot 35%. I, I think that was probably closer to like 38 or something like that pre-injury. That is not something that really showed itself in Australia. Yeah. And that's kind of why I was a little bit hesitant. And I didn't know if it was like shot selection versus his form or a combination of two. But that to me was one of the biggest surprises for me. Obviously, he had that floater from, you know, 16 feet out, which is also kind of just took me by surprise and how often he would use it and how, you know, semi-effective he was in converting those shots. And I guess one thing defensively, I was pretty low on him coming into the draft defensively. I think for you know, understandable reasons. You know, you look at the tape, he didn't really jump off the screen defensively at all, but I thought his off-ball anticipation was something that was very crucial for this team, especially a team that likes to get out in transition. And his deflections, again, I don't have those numbers in front of me, but they had to be pretty high when you kind of compare it to some of the other players out there in terms of like maybe per 36. He almost plays like a free safety out there where... He has the length and he can bait you into thinking that there's a gap 
in a passing lane and he just jumps it. And, you know, maybe sometimes it doesn't always lead to a transition opportunity. It just leads to deflection, you know, out of bounds and it stops like a, a cut back door. But again, another surprise for me. I knew the passing was there. Everyone did. I knew his vision was there, his creativity, his hit ahead passes. Like that was something that was going to translate right away. But the three point shot and the off ball anticipation for me jumped out the most. I'm going to give him an A minus as well, Brian. Yeah, I mean, you know, like the creativity that he plays with offensively is, is transcendent, right? And so I, I think the biggest takeaway that we had earlier in the year, you know, really until he got injured, was that like, okay, this informs how this roster is being built, you know, moving forward. I mean, I think that the team's going to consistently try to play in transition, you know, with Lobello as the quarterback in that way. So I think that they want to be as athletic as possible. You know, I, I was impressed with with Lamello, Richie, your point defensively too. I didn't expect to see what we did for most of the season from him. You know, he, he really did play with, with more effort, more energy, more understanding of positioning on that end. Yeah, you know, he gambles in a lot of situations you wouldn't you wouldn't prefer. But that's who Lamello is as a player. Like you either get on board or you get off because you're gonna you're gonna live and die with that on both ends to an extent. But yeah, I, I think my main takeaway with him is is just the creativity. You know, if the Hornets can build the roster the right way, add shooting, add athleticism, you know, add that defensive versatility that he kind of brings, and some players that can that can maybe help allow him, let's say, to play that free safety role a little bit more efficiently to kind of hide him on, on other players. I think that's important from a roster building component going forward. But yeah, I mean, he, he gives the team a different trajectory. And I love the pairing of Miles Bridges and LaMelo Ball, you know, with what the creativity LaMelo brings, the athleticism that Miles does. You know, I think when he returned from injury, it just, he wasn't, number one, he didn't look like the same guy athletically, but just like physically, I I didn't, he didn't have the same zip, you know, to Brian's point, like teams just swallowed him up. They played way off of him, dared him to shoot. Lamelo couldn't get into the paint, couldn't, you know, they took the Hornets out of transition a lot. I mean, and that's, Looks more like Australia, Lamelo. I, I think offensively, especially late in the season. But I mean, you attribute most of that to his injury, and then the rest of the team being decimated by injuries. But you know, I think at the end, uh, the Hornets nailed this pick. Uh, they really did. I think they probably got the best player out of that draft with the third pick. And you know, moving forward, I, I think this is a guy that can be an all-star one day. I really do. You know, I cooled off a little bit on him <laughs> from what we saw earlier in the year. But that's still like all-star caliber type of player. So I'm, I'm very excited and interested to see where the team goes from here with Lamelo Ball. All right, let's go ahead and wrap up with, I want you to give me one thing that went right for this team and one thing that was a glaring issue for this team on the season. Obviously, we can't break down each individual player. I, I mean, I wanted to get into Monk. I wanted to get into Jalen McDaniels, but we're over an hour here. Obviously, we did not mention Cody Zeller or the Martin Twins. So if you want to kind of include that into your kind of overall team thoughts, but give me one thing, Brian, that went right for this team and one thing that you just thought was such a glaring issue that needs to be fixed ASAP. Yeah, last thing, just, okay. to, just to two quick notes on LaMelo. Uh, he was 19 this season. He had one of the greatest seasons the teenagers ever had in the history of professional basketball, which should really excite 
uh, basketball fans of the Charlotte Hornets or people that cover the team. And yeah, uh, pre-injury Lamella ball, 38% from downtown, five and a half threes per game, 40% off the catch, 36 and a half percent off the dribble. Uh, when he returned, um, 24.5% from downtown, uh, 36.5% off the catch, but only three of 21 on off dribble pull up threes, uh, 14% after he came back. So those just provide a little bit more context to some of the stuff we were just talking about. Uh, what went right for this team? Whew, I mean, I think it has to. I mean, it, all roads lead back to LaMelo right now. Uh, I've, I've gushed plenty about Bridges, his development. Spencer touched on this, super important for this team. But I just think they were so desperate. This franchise is so desperate for an identity and for that to be based off of a star. It's one thing to say pace and space ball movement. We're going to, we're going to take all these hardworking players. So I'm thinking from like, you know, last season and we're going to swing the ball around and we're going to target the right areas. And when we catch teams on the, on the right night, you know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to win some games, but we're not going to be that good. Um, That's you can do that. And that is an identity, but it is different when it comes with the superstar personality and the pace and the, the, the way they ran with LaMelo on the court this season, they were basically a second per possession faster on offense with LaMelo on compared to with him off the court, just pretty drastic swing for one player. And I just think their ability to organize offense, both in transition with a guy who excels in those broken play scenarios that excels as a basketball genius that sees things happening all over the court at the same time that you know, certainly has some limitations now, but you can see some pathways towards correcting some of that stuff along with just becoming more experienced jump. They they were able to skip a couple steps in terms of team building and rebuilding because they got LaMelo at three. And I know we just talked a bunch about LaMelo, but something that went right for this team um, is being able to draft this guy third overall and and build out from there. So what's the one issue, Brian, that you thought was just, you know, too glaring. To, oh, to, to oh, the, the, the okay. defense was, was, was <laughs> awful this year. We've talked about it a ton. I, every stock, every strategy they played the zone, the matchup zone, the, the switching, all of it was, was pretty porous unless LaMelo or miles were like jumping passes and getting steals. Um, you know, uh, out. So the only thing that kept that defense afloat this season was the turnover rate. Everything else was awful. They gave up all the wrong kinds of shots, um, limited in terms of personnel, but they play just a weird and chaotic style. Um, it's why I would love to see them, uh, add a mobile five to this team and give them someone who can guard pick and rolls in a couple of different ways. And maybe even a little more drop going forward while, while mixing in some switching too. And then, um, finding a, a, you know, a guy, someone on the wing that can guard the basketball. And I think they have, I think with free agency in the draft, you know, stuff's going to have to break right for them, but there are guys they can get that can, that can satisfy some of these, I think very obvious needs with the team, at least for next season and going forward. Yeah. I would just say like, well, we're right. I mean, I, I think it's the, the player development, you know, that, that continues to take a jump under James Borrego. That, that's super encouraging. You know, Brian touched on, I think just the offensive profile, like it's encouraging specifically for, you know, with a team that's young and doesn't have a super efficient, you know, ISO score, you you need to spray it around. You need to hit every part of the floor. You need to have a mindset that dribble, drive, kick, and and the Hornets certainly have that. I mean, frankly, as good as 
there's any team over a regular season sample that there is in the NBA, not net, not named the Utah Jazz. So I thought that's impressive. They just need guys that can knock them down, you know, more consistently. And so not too much to really bang on offensively. I mean, I, I share Brian's concerns. Like, my mindset with defense, and it's usually where I watch basketball first, is, you know, you got you to gotta have the right habits. And I think my biggest criticism, critique, let's say, of, of James Borrego is that it doesn't appear that he really feels the same way because I got to tell you, there's some guys on this team that have some pretty future defensive habits right now in terms of passing the ball off to any player on their team, regardless of the matchup. And, you know, and like, let me make this clear. Some of this is out of necessity. You have to play junk defenses with a with with a group like Charlotte had this year with the, just the player deficiencies. But what's more important, uh, the long-term goal of creating the right habits and being connected on that end or junking the whole game up, trying to drag teams underwater on that end and just trying to win as many games as possible. So I, I, that's something I'm watching going forward because I, I think that takes a long way to just correct that overnight because now you have the right personnel. You have to create the right habits. So those would be my what went right, kind of what went wrong, main takeaways, I think. Well, that's funny. That's exactly what I had for what went right with his team was the internal development of, you know, a Jalen McDaniels, of Devontae, of LaMelo, of Miles Bridges. I think when you look at the roster this year, the only major difference, I mean, it's it's a big difference, but it, it's really just Gordon Hayward. And I, I think we talk about where this team was supposed to end up at the end of the season. I don't think they end up with this many wins just with the acquisition of Hayward. You had to have that internal development and player development with these players and make those jumps. And I think they made those necessary jumps under Borrego's system there. So what went wrong? You guys just talked about it. The, 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 you know, the defensive personnel, the defensive scheme, paint protection just wasn't there. Again, I thought we did a good job of recapping the Hornets season, grading the Hornets season. And uh, I know that we're going to have to get into some draft talk soon, which I'm sure you're excited about. You're, you're patiently waiting here, Brian, to get into draft talk. I am yeah. not, on the other hand. So. One, one thing I guess we should mention, uh, the one little bit of news, that two little oh, bits yeah. of news that came out today with the Hornets, which was the team picked up its option on James Borrego. I guess no real surprise there. And Charlotte won uh, a tiebreaker to have, I guess, the 11th best odds for the draft. The JB news is, is kind of interesting. No extension. Uh, we'll see what that means for next season and for, for team building around it. They went a, a cheaper option with a little bit less certainty. Yeah. And certainly seems like a lot of eggs are in the basket to, to win next season. So we'll, we'll see how that informs team building roster construction uh, this summer. And one thing I will say about this season in terms of the defense and, and just in general, there was not a regular off season and the team did not this the schedule did not allow for a lot of practices with the games back to back to back yeah. back. So yeah. I'm not excusing what happened on that end of the court, but just trying to provide some context as to why maybe Borrego yeah. had to do things on the fly and switch things up every so often. It was it was difficult yeah. to kind of navigate this season. That's a good point. All right, guys, thanks again for tuning in to another Buzz Beat. We will see you guys next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.